I love when you clap and I haven't even said anything yet. That's awesome. Um, it is so good to see you guys. Good morning. Um, welcome. Welcome to chapel. Um, before I jump in, let me just make a quick reminder. Um, tomorrow at 11 o'clock starts our Rest Publica lectures. Um, and we are giving chapel credit for that. So tomorrow at 11 and then again on Friday, we will have our Rest Publica lecture speaker with us. So um, I hope you guys had a great break. I hope you were able to rest um, and, and enjoy time with family and friends. I also hope that your semester is off to a good start. It's a little rough to start on a Monday, right? Because you have a whole week. Amen, yes. So you have a whole week ahead of you. Um, but I hope, I hope it's going well so far. Um, so our family, we actually all uh, got sick over Christmas break. Anybody else? It's like, a, it was like, yes, it was like a thing. Um, we just slowly, like, we slowly went down one by one, right? And I was kind of the last man standing, and then I went down hard on December 23rd. But as a mom, you have to rally, and you have to make Christmas magic happen. So I'm, like, rolling out cinnamon rolls and popping Tylenol, you know, <laughs> like, we can do this. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted it to be, right? Christmas break is supposed to be about festivities and good food and gathering with family and friends, not stuffy noses and Tylenol. <laughs> and it was really disruptive, actually. Um, sickness threw off all of our plans. And I didn't like it. Um, for good reason, actually. That's okay that I didn't like it. But something happened as I started to talk to God about my frustration. I began to see that sickness and um, the sadness and disappointment and the exhaustion and the overwhelm, all of those were actually the very reasons that Jesus came to earth in the first place. The unwanted disruption of getting sick actually made my celebration of the incarnation more real and authentic than it has been in years. The sickness, it got my attention and it pointed my tired and my aching body to the good news that the word became flesh and was in the business of making all things new. I remember lying in bed and my whole heart just was yearning for the day that Jesus would come back again, and there would be no more sickness or no more disappointing celebrations. Now, I know my Christmas break story is not unique because when we consider the sum of a day or a week or a year, we realize that they are often marked by disruption. Disruption. It's a break or an interruption in the normal course of things. And disruption is a regular part of our human experience. But disruptions are uncomfortable. We don't like them, right? Even as we begin a new semester and a new year, we desire a year marked by success and achievement and comfort and uncomplicated relationships and fulfilled dreams and plans. And those things are not wrong to want. Rarely, though, do we ever welcome or desire disruption. The truth is, this semester, this year, even this week, will have its own set of disruptions. They are inevitable. And disruptions aren't always bad. I think about really good disruptions, like a new baby, 
right? They are very disruptive and really wonderful, right? Um, moving to a new house, a phone call from a friend when you're trying to study, that's never happened, right? Um, this unexpected internship opportunity that throws your entire summer plans for a loop. But many disruptions are unwelcome. Sickness, like I mentioned, disappointment, loss, broken relationships or conflict. Some disruptions are individual, maybe that grade you didn't get that you were hoping to get or an injury. Some disruptions are communal, like tornadoes or power outages or fire alarms, right, Carter? <laughs> right? Most of the time, disruptions happen to us. We are passive recipients of interruptions that are beyond our control. And if we're honest, we do not like them. But what if disruptions are gifts? What if God is at work in our disruptions to bring about the transformation of our hearts and minds? What if spiritual growth happens the most in the context of disruption? It is true that our plans and desires and our hopes and routines will be interrupted. Disruption is not something that we can avoid. But experiencing disruption, it doesn't automatically result in transformation, being transformed more into the image of Christ. Disruption also has the potential to result in bitterness or apathy or anger. Meaning that our response to disruption is pretty important. To summarize an early church father, the same sun melts the wax and also hardens the clay. So for the next few minutes, I want to look quickly at three examples of disruption in the Gospels and then consider what it might look like for us as individuals and as a community to receive and maybe even welcome disruption faithfully as a path to spiritual growth and maturity. It turns out when you start looking, disruption is everywhere in scripture. The very act of creation was a great disturbance, speaking everything into existence from when there was a void and nothingness. And as we consider the biblical story, story further, we might remember Abraham and Moses, right? Two men who were sort of scooped out from their homes and their families and their comfortable living and sent somewhere else. We might think of Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, or Daniel and his friends who were taken as captives to Babylon. There's also Esther, a Jewish woman who was placed in the palace of a pagan king, or Ruth, who followed her grieving mother-in-law to a land that was not her own, to a different culture, a different religion. We know these stories really well, in fact, probably so well that the disruption is lost on us more often than not. We sort of skim over those details, but just for a minute, imagine leaving your home and your family and their financial security to go somewhere that God hasn't even told you where to go yet. <laughs> it was this land that was unrevealed. Imagine stepping into the role of queen to a ruthless king. Imagine living life as a captive in an environment that was hostile to your faith and beliefs. Disruption interruption. 
And yet, all of these stories have a common thread, a firm belief that the Lord is at work in and through the disruption. All of these stories have this thread of a surrender to find out what God has in store and a trusting obedience to go wherever the Lord leads. This is why Joseph can say to his brothers at the end of his story, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And why Mordecai could exhort Esther and say, who knows, maybe you've come into this kingdom for such a time as this. Fast forward a little bit. There's many I'm skipping over. But fast forward and we encounter Mary, a young Jewish woman whose entire life was turned upside down in a pretty scandalous way when Gabriel appeared to her and told her that she would be the mother of Jesus. Disruption. In fact, the incarnation was the ultimate disruption. After 400 years of silence, angels singing. A deep darkness pierced by the light of the world, the kingdom of God breaking into human existence. Jesus is the great disruption in the best way. He broke the current of sin and death through his death and resurrection, and he changed our trajectory. We were headed as enemies of God, and he now calls us friends. But Jesus is also the great disruptor. We see this all throughout the Gospels. So let's look real quick at three vignettes of how Jesus disrupted people and what that means for us. So first passage is from Mark chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 16 to 20. Passing, along the sea, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Do you see this, the disruption there? Two different sets of brothers minding their own business, right? Doing what they do every day, making an honest living. And then Jesus walks by and with two words, right? Follow me. Their entire lives upended. And all of them respond actually in an astonishing way. Mark, he loves to use the word immediately. Like you read his gospel and you're like, immediately, immediately, immediately. It's like fast pace. But what does it say? Immediately they leave their livelihood and security, material possessions, and even family obligations to follow Jesus. What this shows us is that the call to follow Jesus is nothing if not disruptive. His invitation is radical and costly, but it's also truly the only way to experience life the way we were meant to experience it. My question for us, is Jesus trying to get our attention? Is he calling us to an obedience that is uncomfortable because it is disruptive? Are we willing to set down our own agendas and our own plans for our life in order to follow his? How will we respond? All right, next story, Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. 
He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, the religious leaders, saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he, is al- since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now Zacchaeus was definitely, excuse me, curious about Jesus, but I doubt he had the idea that Jesus was going to come to his house for lunch. Right? Jesus, though, the great disruptor, invites himself over, right? Rude, right? Invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house for a meal. And chances are pretty high that Zacchaeus wasn't prepared. I bet his house was not sparkling clean. He probably didn't have gourmet food prepared. But here's the thing. Jesus was not interested in being entertained. He wanted access to Zacchaeus in a personal way through real hospitality, which is really just making space for people. And notice Zacchaeus' response. He hurries down from his perch in the sycamore tree, and he joyfully receives Jesus. The result then in his own heart and his own life is total repentance and total transformation as he gives back fourfold what he took from people. You guys, Jesus wants access to all of our spaces. Where we live, what we love, what we own. He invites himself over to your house for a meal. In fact, when we celebrate communion, what are we doing? We're having a meal with Jesus. He wants to fellowship with you and he wants to know you in a personal way. He's not interested in being entertained by you. You don't have to clean your room and make really good food. He wants you to make space for him, even if it's uncomfortable. So will you welcome the disruption by welcoming the disruptor? Will you welcome Jesus joyfully? Third story, John 4, 7 through 10. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I'm assuming you guys know the rest of this story, right? This narrative is full of disruption. An overthrowing of social norms and theological assumptions, followed by way too personal questions that Jesus asks, right? Jesus does not hold back in this narrative. He goes straight for the most awkward conversation when he asks her about her husband a few verses later. I love this story, though, 
because it shows Jesus the disruptor at his very best. He asks a series of questions that lead her to realize that what it is she's actually after in life and through his uncomfortable, very socially unacceptable questions. He exposes her sin, but then he mercifully displays himself as her savior. If we let ourselves sit in the story, right? Again, we know this, but if we let ourselves sit there, we can feel the tension and the, maybe even the little annoyance that she kind of was feeling from Jesus, like, get out of my business, right? We understand why she was trying to move the conversation away from her personal life. But Jesus, he is sometimes relentless in his disruption. And he is relentless because he loves us. He loved this woman. He is out to get our attention. He pursues us with those questions. We all know what they are, right? Those questions, the ones that we like to avoid in order to show us our desperate need for him and to release our grip on the idols that we hold so dear. He disrupts our inner numbness through the power of his Holy Spirit who indwells us. And when we surrender to his probing, we find the very thing our hearts are actually longing for. I love how the narrative ends. What started as an unwanted interruption ends in sweet fellowship. John tells us that the woman, she returned to her town and she started telling everyone about Jesus and how he knew her entire story. As a result, it says, many Samaritans believed in him. And then this is what happens in a minute, in verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked Jesus to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. This shows us a couple of things. First, Jesus doesn't mess things up and then walk away. Jesus disrupts us and then he sticks around. And then... What a lovely demonstration of how our hearts can be changed if we welcome the relentless destruction that Jesus brings. Okay, those are just three quick stories out of many more. As you read your Bibles, watch for this. You're going to find disruption in every page. All of the stories that I highlighted are people who responded to, this, to the disruption that Jesus brings with faith. But remember earlier I said that's not always the case. There are also people who rejected Jesus because of his disruption, right? Think of the Pharisees. Think of the rich young ruler. So the question remains for us is this, when disruption comes, how will we respond? The response of faith, I think it looks like a posture of surrender and trust, but not just once, over and over and over again. A faithful response to disruption embraces the goodness of God and our own limitations at the same time. It's not one or the other. They're both true. It demonstrates our need. It exposes our vulnerability. But we do those things in order to meet Jesus in those spaces and to find his love for us there and how deep it is. Faithfulness in disruption looks like leaning into the truth that you belong to the one who created heaven and earth, and that he is working all things 
working through all things for your absolute flourishing, even when we can't see it. This brings me to one final thought about disruption. The disruption that we've been talking about up to this point um, is, we can call it passive disruption, right? It's when things happen to us or um, when we are interrupted. Re it's, I've heard one, one pastor refer to it as reactive spirituality. You're reacting to things. We've been looking at how this type of disruption is connected to our growth and our maturity, and we've seen that we can either respond in faith and surrender or we can refuse to relinquish control. These moments in our journey, this reactive spirituality, they are good opportunities to sort of take our spiritual temperature. When we are interrupted, do we respond with annoyance or anger? When things don't go the way we planned, are we easily frustrated or do we grasp for more control? But this reactive spirituality it stands on the foundation of a proactive spirituality. Okay, here's what I mean. The way you respond to disruption when it happens to you is directly connected to the way that you respond to Jesus in your normal, everyday, peaceful moments. In those uninterrupted times. The way you respond to Jesus in crisis is indicative of the way you respond to Jesus in peace. If you want to be a person who welcomes disruption as an opportunity to experience the love of Jesus deeper and to grow more into the image of Christ, then continue to build habits that put you directly in the way of Jesus. In other words, create disruption in your life. Spend time in prayer, in God's word, with God's people. Practice Sabbath, rest. All of those rhythms are essentially rhythms of what? Of disruption. <laughs> they interrupt our normal routines and they wake us up a little. Then what happens is those proactive, um, those habits of proactive spirituality will begin to sort of build the spiritual muscles that we need when other disruptions come our way. When your heart learns to trust Jesus in good times, it will have the same tendency in hard times. When your heart <clears throat> learns to surrender to Jesus in moments of tranquility, then surrender becomes sort of muscle memory in moments of disruption. Those habits will help to position your heart to lean into disruptive moments in our lives in order to see how God is at work in and through them and how he's going to be, bring about transformation and the redemption of all things. So I don't know what's going to disrupt you this semester. It could be something really awesome, really good, or it could mean facing significant loss or disappointment. I don't, I don't know. But my encouragement to you and to myself is to practice embracing disruption as a gift and to lean into disruption as a place where God gets our attention. He strips us of our idols. He shows us our need. And then he meets us with the peace and the sovereignty that only he can bring. Amen? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for a new semester. We thank you for all the opportunities that you are placing in front of us, the good ones and the challenging ones. And we thank you that we are not alone and we'll never be alone. You will never leave us or forsake us. And so, Lord, when things hit us that we don't like, when our plans are changed or when things don't go the way we want them to go, Lord, help us to encounter you in those spaces. Help us to acknowledge, as we sang a little while ago, our need for you. We need you every moment. And that is a good place to be. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for these students. Be with us as we begin this semester. In Jesus' name, amen.